This is Peak Too Early, presented by SAV Racing, featuring Mike Gendron, Trent Fontanella, and Steve Gendron. Welcome back to the greatest running podcast in the world, Peak Tour Early. I am one of your hosts, Steve Jenner, and I'm joined by Mike Jenner, who's somewhere off the coast of Connecticut. Mike, how you doing? Steve, I think you can tell pretty much exactly where I am in my training based on how many stories I have to tell about silly things that happen to me out and running. I actually have a story to tell, so that means to the listeners, hey, maybe I actually have been running. Who knows? I don't want to take too much away from Trent's time. We can get into it in a second. I'm very excited to tell my running story. And as always, at the House of Sav, we got Trent Fontanella. Trent, how you doing, bud? Gentlemen, I'm, I'm a little nervous tonight. The wind is just howling outside. You guys may even be able to hear it through the microphone at time to time. I mean, I feel like I'm in a secure uh, enclosure and in a secure room, but I think about it, this house is like 130 years old and the wind is, is just, you know, pushing everything around out there. So, if, uh, if I go dark, you know, for a minute here, it's because my house is collapsing on me. Hopefully it doesn't happen, but I got a little bit of nerves, a little jitters tonight with everything going on out there. The wind is wild out there tonight, but anyways, Mike, let's get, to, let's get into the story. Let's hear the story. What's happening? Yeah, I guess. Well, first of all, I mean, geez, out here in Connecticut, we're all good. We can't be losing the House of Sav and the Gendron Saloon here tonight. So, so hold strong in there, folks. But all right, so here we go. So I'm out on a run the other day. Credit to me. Um, and so I, I probably leave my run around four thirty. So right now sunset is around like, I think that I think I checked that day is around five thirty six, right? So that gives me an hour before it even remotely starts to get dark. And let's be honest, I'm not going out for an hour run. This was a little bit of a longer run for me. So I headed out for 45 minutes, jogging along, doing my thing. And I was having a great run. Awesome run, feeling good, just striding along. Everything is great. The weather's starting to get a little warmer, so it just feels good out there. So I'm coming down the home stretch. I'm probably like a quarter mile away from my house. And I'm on like this main street. And I see this kind of like older car coming towards me. And it looks like it's starting to like there's something about the way he's driving that makes me look like makes me feel like he's about to turn into the driveway that I'm about to pass. Like, I think he's kind of leaning into it a little bit, getting closer to it. Um, so I kind of slow up my pace a little bit, but there's no blinker at all. So I'm not really sure. So I'm just slowing my pace, just being careful. And, and, you know, of course this guy boom bombs into the turn and there I am. Like I pull up and I'm kind of just like standing there and, wasn't really that close of a call, but that's only because I could kind of foresee it coming. And I do the classic like runner. Yeah, I didn't scream or anything. I just kind of threw my hands up in the air like, all right, buddy type of thing. And then I go ahead on my run. A couple minutes later, I feel a car like kind of like trailing me a little bit. And so I turn and it's the car that just almost hit me. So he drives so by exciting. me. He drives by me goes down to the end of the street and pulls into a driveway down at the end of the street. As I'm running up, I can kind of see this unfolding. And this guy gets out of his car and stands 
in front of the front door in this random person's driveway waiting for me. So I get there, and as I'm getting closer, I kind of pull my headphone on. I say, hey, how you doing, sir? Because I clearly tell he's waiting for me, and he's got something in his hands. And in guys, I kid you not, okay, I can't make this up. He didn't go to his trunk. He just opened the door, walked out, and stood there. And he goes, hey, I got a present for you. I'm like, oh, yeah? And he pulls out fully in-packaged a reflector vest. A brand new in the plastic reflector vest. And I'm like, oh no, I'm all set, sir. I've got one at home. He's like, well, well, don't you think that you should be wearing it? Go ahead and put this on. I want you to be safer the rest of your run. And I'm like, I, I think I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing just fine, sir. And I'm trying to kill him with kindness, be as polite as I possibly can. And this guy is just not having it. He's coming back at me. And so finally he's like, well, I almost just killed you out there. He's like, you're going to get yourself killed if you keep doing this. And I'm like, all right, well, it, like I said, sir, I have a reflective vest in my house. And, uh, you know, when it actually gets dark out, I, I put it on. He's like, oh, you give me attitude. You give me attitude. So this guy is just not having it. I'm trying to kill him with kindness. And clearly we're not going to get anywhere. We're just sitting there bickering. So finally I just leave it as, you know what, sir, I'll make a compromise with you. For now on, I will wear my reflector vest at all times of the day. You just have to promise me that you'll use your blinker for now on. And I ran off. <laughs> so, Love it. I don't understand any interaction I've had with this. Like we're, because there's been plenty of times where I've almost been hit by a car, and it is 100% my fault. And in that case, like, I understand why people get mad because they can, like, you know, get in legal trouble if they're hitting you running. So I'm told I am the first one to say if it's my fault. But I just don't understand why it's people's natural reaction when they almost hit a runner and it is so clearly their fault. They want to do anything in their power to try and blame the person I hit. I guess it's just like a guilt thing. So there's my story. Gentlemen. That's it. I don't it's, know. it's like, it's like you get this like wave of guilt and like, it's like, you, they're kind of shocked. Like they're, they're almost in like fight or flight mode. Right. And they choose and more often than not, they choose to fight. There was one time I'll never forget it. I was in like my early twenties and I was running and it, you know, there's this bike path and sidewalk. So it's a pretty heavily trafficked road and especially by pedestrians, but during rush hour, it gets pretty busy with traffic. And there was this one guy in a truck that, you know, comes poking out with his, you know, the nose of his truck, not even slowing down, not yielding to any pedestrians, ready to right, take a right turn. And he almost, he almost killed me. Right. And so I, you know, I jumped back and I did the thing where, you know, I, I run around the back and I kind of tap the back of his truck. Right. Just, you know, nothing malicious. Right. Just let, just so he knows that he almost hit a pedestrian, just kind of like tap the back of his truck. And I'm running up the road and I had my headphones in and all of a sudden I hear somebody yelling at me and I look to my left. It's a guy slowing down, stopping traffic, right? In the middle of rush hour, I pulled my headphone out and he's yelling at me, yelling at me and I'm ignoring him. I'm just keep going because he's on the other side of a busy road and he's yelling at me, yelling at me. And I just stop and I just say, all right, buddy, I'll tell you what, you can go ahead and hit me next time. Please do so I can make some money. And he goes, how about I fucking kill you? And he slams on the gas. And I thought he was just speeding away. And he pulls into the first driveway in front of me, backs out, and the truck just comes straight at me. And luckily, I know the neighborhood, and there's a dead-end road to my left. So I shoot down the dead-end road, and I know that there's woods 
at the end of it. And I just ran through the woods to get away from this guy. But you're right, Mike, there's something about like, it was like, you know, that people get so offended when there's like a, a pedestrian that calls them out for, you know, driving poorly. I, I didn't even call him out. Like, I just think he was so like upset or felt so guilty that subconsciously he needed to justify it by blaming it on me yeah, to the right. point where he like turned around his day to, to stop what he was doing. And to go back to the fact that he just had a like ready to go. Like, <laughs> this has happened it, more than once. Yeah. Him. Does he just drive around like almost hitting people all over the place that he's just got a stack of unopened reflector vests at like, 4 30 in the afternoon <laughs> yeah that yeah. that was my absolute favorite part of the story right there was he had the reflector vest ready to go that means he it. definitely is a serial almost hitter or maybe he is a hitter and then mike what's going through your head when this guy who almost hits you and then he's like trailing you goes ahead stops the car and then he says you know i got a present for you why don't you come over here like i'm not going over to get the present yeah. from this guy <laughs> like i'm running off you know i'm giving so him a finger I, and running away i genuinely thought he was pulling up to apologize to me like as I'm running up. And that's why, like, as I approached him, I kind of took my headphone off to like engage with him. Cause I thought he was going to like apologize to me. And I was blown away with what, with what I found in this interaction. Couldn't believe it. That's not, that's not what I was expecting. I thought he was going to have some, <laughs> I don't know, like a knife or something. He was ready to get all pissed off at. So I guess that's, this is the mean streets of Connecticut where the yeah, worst thing they can right. do is, is give you sure a reflective vest. So, boys, we got in a, just a couple of weeks. Actually, we're one week away from the start of our virtual race. Um, I think we're all kind of getting together to, to run on Saturday, March 13th. But we got a couple big weeks coming up ahead of us. Um, we are finalizing the pick'em pool. So everybody that signed up, everybody that sent us their, their registration, we are putting it together. We're compiling all the, all the data you sent us. We're putting together something pretty cool. So we'll hopefully have that out to everybody that's participating soon, probably, probably by, by, by Thursday. Um, and then we're, we're planning on having the live pre-race party on Saturday, the 7th on the evening. Uh, so eight o'clock, 8 PM Eastern standard time. So, um, we're going to get together on zoom. It's going to be the sound runner, um, uh, track meet is going to be going on. So we can watch that as we kind of go through and read off who we're drafting for our pick em pool, but we got a lot going on guys. It's going to be a busy couple of weeks in the, in the peak to early world. So like kind of reading through the, the beef that people sent us for the, the pick em pool and kind of, you know, people's engagement. I am so excited for, you know, our pick em party for this race. You know, I feel like I, I have a, an idea going into it here now, like who, who I'm up against, even, you know, two crew members, people I don't know that well. It's like, I feel like I, I know who the competition is. I, I know what rivalries to look out for. I'm very excited. Yeah. There was a part of me that was like, maybe I don't even run, right? Like I haven't run. I am coming off the, the broken clavicle, but when you read the, the shit talk and you read the bios, I'm definitely fired up. I'm about to I'm about to go out so hard in that first mile. I'm about to die real hard after that first mile. But that's where my head's at. I'm excited. My favorite part of doing this and kind of compiling all this was making the nicknames. So some people we know really well, some people we don't, right? But we had to go through and we're making nicknames for each one of the participants. Um, some of my favorites that I created. Let's see what we got here. Who we got? We got oh uh, 
Patrick cease and desist Larson from the Harrier. He's gotten uh, he's gotten more than a handful of cease and desist letters with all those T-shirts he's making. Um, we got James Nutbutter Perez from uh, from Stoke Performance. I like that one. Let's see, notorious, right? I mean, Brandon Allen, champ, champ. He's got we had to give champ. him the notorious nickname, right? Uh, Brandon Big Daddy Demers. He's got a second kid on the way on March fifteenth. <laughs> uh, let's see who else we got here. Chris Blue Moon Robertson. American oh, yeah. record holder in the beer mile. I uh, I changed that one. I don't know if uh, who had the original. No, nah, I like it. I like it. Harrison serial killer Smith. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of an inside joke. I mean, you have to know that he works for General Mills in order to get that one. <laughs> but I like that one. Uh, Colin Ball and Halfman. That's a good one. Adam Half Step Shara. It's a good one. Another kind of inside joke there. A lot of good stuff. But anyways, we're having fun putting this together. Um, so we got that coming out. Then the following week, like I said, if you're in the area, come to Owen and Ollie's on March, Saturday, March 13th. We're going to do kind of the underground race where we're all going to get together and race at 1130 on, um, on March 13th. And then other big news that week, the following Monday, we have cross country national championships. We're going to do a YouTube live stream. I think uh, Chris Robertson might be joining us for that. But, yeah, like I said, a lot going on, a lot going on in the peak too early world. But, hey, you know what? This is all good stuff. I mean, we got – this is going to be – it's a lot of work, but it's going to be a ton of fun over the next couple of weeks. Got to be honest with you. I'm a little nervous to be to be a YouTube star. You know what I mean? I don't really know what qualifies for that. I feel like I got to channel my, like, inner Cali kid or, you know, like get on TikTok and start to learn the lingo or something. I don't know. I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll figure it out. Well, we got a whole 20 subscribers now. So uh, if, if, if everybody listening to this could do us a favor and just go subscribe to our YouTube channel, that would be super helpful. Um, we got some good stuff up there and there's going to be some more stuff coming up. So just, just go subscribe, do us a favor. Um, but anyways, before we kind of get into the news, before we really dive into this episode, we have to say thank you to our friends over at Artican. We've talked about Artican before. Artican is the accessory brand for runners. Kenyan-inspired bracelets. 10% of all their profits are going to Clean Water Project in Kenya. Their stuff is awesome. They're dropping new, uh, new um New bracelets, you know, every season. They got some cool stuff coming up. You can customize your own bracelets. I know people are asking us about potentially getting a peak too early Artican bracelet. Maybe someday down the road we might get an official one. But if you want a peak too early Artican bracelet, you can go in and customize one like like Mike and I did. Um, but you know, Artican's an awesome company. Go support the brands that support us. And I don't know if you saw on the Instagram, but we just got the prizes in for the Irish Clover Five Miler. They are awesome. So we got we got you know one for for each podium finisher, men's and women's side. They got gold, silver, bronze medals on them. They're pretty awesome. If you haven't seen them, go check them out on our Instagram. I think the the gold medal one specifically, Artikin should just like put that in their repertoire. Like that should be on their website. That should be a no. They should Mike one of a kind, I mean, one of a kind for the so- Irish Clover Five Miler winner. <laughs> I yeah, sure I'm I'm cool with that. I just mean they're they're that good. Like they That's they're fair. good enough to belong 
in, in you know the top tier. But if we want to keep it exclusive, I'm cool with that too. I, I think they can sell knockoffs to the general public here. I think we can have like a little <laughs> you know a disclaimer on them saying like not an official Irish Clover uh, award for a champion, something <laughs> yeah. like that. Uh, I think they can pull it off. All right, Mike. Let's kick off the running news. Let's get into it. We got plenty to talk about this week. Uh, let's start with some. Well, let's knock off a, cu- a couple quick news stories right away. Don't need to go into these in depth, but I think they're worth talking about. The first one, uh, actually, forgot to put this one in the show notes, gentlemen. So I think it's pretty easy enough to talk about. Molly Seidel dropping a 68 minute half marathon this past weekend, proving that she is very much. Still in awesome shape, still belongs on that Olympic team. And I got to be honest, I worried a little bit after the trials, you know, if Molly could have been a little bit of a flash in the pan, a one hit wonder type thing. Uh, she keeps proving me wrong. She keeps putting herself out there. And this half marathon was like, okay, yep, she, uh, she belongs on that stage. No, no doubt about it. For sure. Yeah, she's she's a real deal, Holyfield. Molly Seidel is is not going anywhere. I did want to throw one quick note in there. Uh, paced through that half marathon by our guy Wilkins, Wilkerson of Stoke Performance um, in Atlanta Track Club. So it was fun to see him out there. But yeah, in, in really humid conditions. So she ran well in, in not ideal conditions out there. Yeah, it's about a full year since the trials, believe it or not. Uh, that was a different world back then, but for her to, I know she had a, a couple of setbacks throughout the year, but for her to be back at the elite level that she's at, you know, a full year later, that shows some consistency. Uh, and it shows that we should expect to see around, you know, for this year and, and a lot of years moving forward. Can you believe that was a year ago? No. no. Holy shit. Absolutely Man. wild. Does not feel like a year ago. It, yeah, it feels like not even, but then it also feels like 10 years ago because that was a totally different world. Like that we yeah. were living that day of just bar hopping and, and doing that sort of thing. So, told, told the story a million times, but I remember like mocking people for wearing masks in the airport. And it, I had no, I had no idea. I had no idea what I was about to get myself into. <laughs> All right, next news story. So, Kind of interesting one. So NAU, obviously, cross-country powerhouse, uh, you know, number one in the nation, had their conference championship, the Big Sky, and they got upset by Southern Utah. I think it was like 35 to 38. So before we get into it, I understand, right? NAU did not run all of their top guys. They were clearly resting people. They know that they're locked in to a spot at the championship meet. So I wouldn't say it's like crazy that they got upset. However, this is like a highly decorated program. And I do genuinely believe that they probably went into that meet thinking we can win with the guys we're putting on the line here. Yeah. It's not our top guys. And honestly, shame on them. You are the number one team in the country. You shouldn't be losing your conference championship, right? I get the strategy of setting people, but come on. You should not be losing 
this meet. I, I just, I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Uh, so I'm, I'm honestly happy that they got upset and let's go BYU. Let's go Oklahoma state. Like I'm just, I'm sorry, coach Smith. Like I'm just not NAU keeps, keeps pushing my buttons. Wow. That was uh, yeah. a lot of hatred in your buttons. voice there. Mike. I think it's interesting to note Southern Utah unranked going into this. They were in the, the receiving votes category of the top 25. So this is not like they were, you know, considered a legitimate, you know, threat in nationals in a couple of weeks. This is, this is a team that had no business beating them. And I agree with you, Mike, even if you hold out like your three top guys, you got to go out there and you got to win it. And conference championships matter. However, I'm not going to shit on NAU. Like they do have a, a big, you know, prize they're going after in a couple of weeks. I just want to like, say congrats to Southern Utah. Like, I don't care who NAU puts on the line that day. Maybe this is to your point. I'm like, like, I don't care who's on the line. You went out there and you beat them and you won a conference championship. So you go from unranked to, to beating NAU and you get to take home some hardware. Good for you guys. They, they crush it. That's like the, that's gotta be the best feeling in the world. And it doesn't matter that NAU didn't have their guys on there. Like that doesn't take away from the championship that they won. They had the best team that day. So congrats Southern Utah. And yeah, we're going to see NAU in a couple weeks. And- doesn't, doesn't this give Southern Utah a, NCAA birth too like don't, yeah. aren't they going to the championship it's crazy yeah, yeah. They, they just booked the plane ticket by beating NAU by three points and they they had to beat the number one team in the country to do it like that's awesome it was great yeah I, I not much else to add here it's classic look ahead game for NAU but I will say this NAU is like trying to solidify themselves is like the team like the powerhouse cross country the powerhouse uh, distance program in the country and i know it doesn't mean a lot winning your conference championship you can feel the better team when you're going to nationals in a couple weeks and probably have a very good chance of winning there but there's a difference between showing up just trying to win the 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 national championship and and asserting yourself as like the dominant team you know i think about i think about uh 2007 uh new england patriots right where they were just running up the score on everybody, right? They didn't care. They were they just they were on a mission to prove to the NFL that they were one of the most dominant teams of all time. Um, but now that I say that, they didn't go on to win the win the Super Bowl. So, you know, maybe NAU's on to something. I, I, listen, most cross country seasons you have races like, you know, every other weekend or you're racing quite a bit and then in championship season comes around you have your conference championships you have regionals and then you have the nationals and most teams like the way the system generally works is like you have to take them all seriously maybe you can go through your conference but you have to take regional seriously and obviously have to take national seriously this system's a little bit different where like it you don't have it's not as race heavy they don't have all these crazy steps there's still a couple weeks away there's no reason why that they even throw a couple of your guys out there and have them do like a tempo or, you know, work with the younger guys or like, you should not, I'm okay with you sitting top guys and okay with you giving rest, but you should not, it should not should be, it should not be at the cost of losing this meet. So that's all I got to say about that. All right, let's move on to the Texas qualifier. Awesome meet this past weekend, Steve. I know you were, on the clubhouse this weekend with uh bell lap and our guys from running report and you know a bunch of other guys tracks the guys breaking down this meet doing a little you know meet preview hopped on for a little bit me and you broke down some uh betting lines do you have anything uh to add you know going into the meet kind of you know what the the vibe was what people were talking about going into it 
plenty of hype for this meet. I mean, it was exciting. I mean, we're we're going to talk about it in a, in a little bit with our guy Jesse Williams, but it's just another step of like people taking this sport into their own hands to kind of try and create something cool. So I think the meet was awesome. I think that the way it came about was awesome. Credit to credit to Sidious Mag. They did a good job putting it on. Um, but I think the actual racing, the actual meet didn't necessarily live up to expectations. I think it was kind of a rough night out there. It was humid. It wasn't quite the weather that everybody was expecting. We had a lot of people drop out, I think, because they saw the the weather. I mean, it, it was looking like we were going to have a brazier hopple matchup at one point. That didn't end up happening. Um, so I think the actual racing was pretty disappointing. That being said, great effort, great atmosphere, and I think overall good for the sport. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It was a, it was a fun night. Like that, that was my takeaway. It was like, get this one on ESPN, <laughs> not the yeah. ATL that some of the stuff else has been up there. There's a lot of, and, and you said it, Steve, not everybody actually finished what they were up to, but that didn't mean there was uh, the bad races out there. There were some good times and some fun finishes. So I was impressed with how the night went. But I mean, so, they were, they were, they were using this like the, in, in there was some good racing, but the whole point of this meet was to get like trials and Olympic qualifying standards. Other than the men's 1500, which uh, our boys over at Beer Mile put up a prize for, there was no prize money. The whole point of this meet was to get standards. And it felt like that people weren't, like the athletes weren't pushing themselves to get the standards. It's like, if you're not going to go all out to try and get these standards, then what's the point of showing up? What's the point of racing? There's a couple times where it was like, it was like these guys, these girls, they're just they're just trying to win this race. They don't they're not going for the standard, which I know we preach about, but when an entire meet is put together to hit these standards and you're not going all out to get the standards, then what are we doing? Yeah. I, I don't think I ever thought I'd hear Steve say that, you know? They're going out <laughs> to win the race. But I mean, there was no prize on that. There, there was no prize. I mean, it was just an opportunity to get a bunch of fast people together and go balls out, try to get some standards. And they they it just didn't happen. So let's go through some of these races here. So I got, I got just a few of them highlighted. So the first one I highlighted was the women's 800. Steve, in our pre-show there on the uh, clubhouse, we I think the line was thrown out two and a, two and a half was the over/under for for women under two minutes. And if you took the under, you're a winner. You had two folks, two women underneath, and uh, IJ Wilson. We we put her as the favorite, Steve, and I mean that's the easiest pick in the world. She dominates again, makes it look easy. Uh, I mean, if you're talking about anything else but Ajay Wilson in that race, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about because she she is, you know, Olympic bound and who knows medal contention. Like she she is legit the real deal. And there was whispers going around about um, earlier that day, there was a collegiate, uh, there was a collegiate 158, right? And it was, there was whispers, are are you telling Ajay Wilson that there was a 158 run earlier that day? Are you just going to let her go out there and race? And I think by the way she ran, she was in, that was like the first race of the night. And it was kind of the only gritty race of the night, which, you know, kind of set the stage for what you thought was going to be a great night. But she went, you could tell she was kind of going after that, that 158 a little bit towards the end there. 
All right, so let's move on to the men's 1500. A couple interesting storylines there. We had some friends of the program. We had Johnny G in there. We had Sam Prakel, who runs every 1500 meter under the sun. Uh, a kind of an interesting one was we had a uh, Josh Thompson, Eric Jenkins uh, meetup, you know, after their the, the Craig Angles beef there on the, the Beer Mile podcast they got to race each other. So that's kind of an interesting storyline. And then a guy that needs to come on this podcast, Justin Knight wins that race. Uh, he's awesome. He, he's a badass. So happy to see him win. And I would, again, Justin, if you're listening, come on the podcast. Justin's a gamer, right? Like yep. he's always down to race, no matter the distance. Like he's a gamer. He's going to be in the mix, no matter what the distance is. He's always trying to win. There's a couple guys in that race that are like that too that are going for the dub there. So for Justin to pull it out, yeah, he's he's running well. And and can we talk about this real quick? I mean, friend of the program, one of the original friends of the program. I'm really worried about Johnny. He did not look good. You could tell that he he was a guy though that you could tell from the gun he wasn't there to just try and win a heat or win a race. Like he was pushing, so he pushed the pace for for two laps, but. He he did not he did not look great towards the end. I'm a little worried Listen, about Johnny. Johnny G's our guy. He's a hometown guy. He's you know friend of the program. So I didn't want to say it, but since you're bringing it up Steve, it's been a while since Johnny G has really looked. Honestly, I mean since that indoor, you know, mile where he went sub three fifty, I I can't remember a race where I saw Johnny G run where I was like, oh wow, he's he, he's locked in, he's back. So. You know, I awfully, obviously hope he, he kind of gets his stride back and figures it out going into the, the trials here. But I'll take the yeah. other side. Johnny G's fine. He's had a He's couple, fine. you know, he hasn't crushed it lately, but the guy's a, a sub-350 miler. Like, the guy's got it in him, and he just got to get in the right race. It'll come out of him. Maybe he's not consistently. Maybe he's got, he's got to work on the consistency. He's got to be working on bringing it every night. But he's out there pushing paces. He's got some of the best, like, talent in the field. Uh, Johnny's ready for a big one very soon steve you, you look like you get some exciting news if not we can move on to the uh no nope. all right cool he's just uh you know, uh steve was amazed by something i was ready to go i don't know we got steve you know getting fired up about something on his phone we got some freaking balloon in the back of trent's screen that's bothering the hell out of me because it just keeps bouncing up and down i don't know if it's blowing in the wind the, or the what, wind is blowing through the there. window and blowing the balloon I, across the room we, we, we need to we need to pull this podcast together here folks so let's move on to the woman's 1500 meter where i could be completely wrong on this i have i'm just shooting from the hip here i just saw the names on my list and i'm just gonna throw this stat out there don't know if it's right i think sinclair johnson takes her first professional l is that right? Is that wrong? No, no, because she she finished. I think we should just run with it. She finished. Didn't she finish fourth at the trials? Or was she? She technically. Oh, so so let's say let's say her first Bowerman. Okay. First Bowerman. Yes, out. yes it a, would I'm be her first Bowerman out. Yeah, and it it wasn't by a lot, right? Like she just gets edged out by Gabriella Debuse. Great race. I still think Sinclair is an absolute problem in the yeah. women's 1500. I think she is so good. There was a lot of like talent in that race. You had Nikki Hiltz. So I, I think she is, if I was putting money on, uh, you know, the Olympic trials 
Sinclair Johnson is definitely which you might get some of which yeah, we which might I end might. up doing at some point. Which I mean, we will. You, you say that you say that as like an outlandish <laughs> hypothetical, but right. You know, I was you know trying to beat around the bush a bit there. I guess my point is, I will be betting on Sinclair Johnson to make the Olympics. So that I think that'd be a at. wise bet. <laughs> Gabriella, if we want to watch like the Canadian trials, she's been kind of crushing it too lately. We've seen her name on a few podiums as of late. I think she won one of the ATL races, but. uh she won't be the U.S. trials. So we can, if we want to bet Canadian meets, we'll be betting on Gabriella. I think. Got to get the, the damn and U.S. hair. Gabriella's hair is unreal. The bomb in red, <laughs> under the lights. I mean, how can you how can you lose with that kind of hair? All right, moving on to you know, every sport has like. There's the great games and great moments like that, but there's always going to be like the one personality that ends up taking over all the headlines. And of course that is our guy, Craig angles who hops in a 5k, not even like, you know, the fastest seat of the 5k and somehow seems to steal every single headline from this race. Craig wins his heat in, you know, 1329. Would have loved to have seen him in the fast heat. Cause I think that time would have had him in like the top five. So that would, would have been cool. Uh, he had some interesting comments that I would like to get into about after the race but do you guys have any uh points on the men's 5k before we break those down i definitely think he benefited from uh from better weather on the on the earlier night um, sure. but yeah no it would have been nice to see him mix it up a little bit but yeah dropping a 1337 you know bumping up from the from the 1500 mile i mean could craig compete in the 5k i mean could could he bump up a distance 2024 2024 yeah, right? that's where we're gonna see him but uh, let's get into his comments because i'm gonna suspect that he has zero interest in doing that yeah so in his interview after the race he made it very clear that he has no interest in continuing to run the 5k or the 10k going forward he would like to immediately get back to the 800 and to the 1500 um you know this was kind of it seemed like a fitness building thing for him but yeah he will not be can confirm he will not be moving up uh but what he also confirmed is that he is interested in going after the 1500 meter american record more specifically what he calls the clean american record of 329 discounting bernard lagat's 327 and now very in the interview interesting yeah, very interesting very interesting I, it was disappointing because in the interview there wasn't like a follow-up to yep. that comment they just kind of he kind of laughs it off and they moved on it was like uh i would think i would like to hear a little bit more about what craig angles has to say about a legend an absolute living <laughs> legend of the sport bernard lagat and and for the most part like a generally like revered guy in the sport you know what i yeah. mean like nobody really has anything bad to say and it's super interesting to hear Craig Angles come out and, and pretty much just call him dirty, right? First up, the whole Angles interview, like, just was the absolute reason why we all love Craig Angles. He gets off the track and he's just so, like, frank and honest, saying, I'm going to throw up. Like, this event sucks. <laughs> like, making fun of the yeah. distance runners, how bad it is. And then he drops the, the clean line, the, the clean record line. So I just love the entire interview. It was so good. Um, but I want to say this. I got no problem with Craig stirring the pot whatsoever. I encourage that. I want people to stir the pot to, to take shots at each other and all that stuff. 
However, I mean, Lagat and I, I had to, you know, refresh myself on what he was referring to. I guess Lagat had the, the EPO positive in 2004, which then got overturned because his B specimen tested negative. But at that point, the damage was done to his reputation. Uh, and apparently people like Craig are still thinking about it. I got to defend my guy Lagat here. Like he got the, the, the one positive they had was overturned. He's one of the American like superheroes in, in these distances. And I don't want to see his name get dragged in the mud like that. So yes, I'm very okay with Craig stirring the pot and throwing that shot. And maybe Craig knows something that we don't know. Cause he's obviously going to be connected to coaches and training staffs that, that we aren't, but until there's any kind of like hard evidence, um, because the one test he did have, it got, it got overruled. His, his B specimen came back clean. They overturned it. There's no like official punishment on his record. I got to stick with the God. I got to be on the God scene. I, I don't think there's any question that I'm fine with beef. I'm fine with people saying outlandish things in interviews. So I have no problem with, with what Craig said, but to your point there, Trent, we like, you know, we're big beef. We're big controversy. We're also big team USA. So we can't be in big uh, innocent until proven guilty guys. Yeah. I mean, we can't be cannibalizing our own here. And it's one thing if there's like hard evidence on this thing for you, just be like, you know, casually throwing this stuff out there. That is a massive claim to make about a massive figure in American distance running. So not crazy about it. Craig's my guy and I'm happy he did it because it gives us something to talk about here, you know, on a Monday night. But I can't I can't imagine that it was um taken well from most of like the American distance running community. I agree. I agree. And 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 you you missed you missed one thing from the quote there where he said, a lot of time to be with your thoughts out there in a 5K. I don't like my thoughts. All right. So let's see. Just got a couple more here. We got the woman's 5K. Uh, it was, you know, we've talked quite a bit about Whiny Kaladi because uh, she was kind of at the top of her game when we really started diving into NCAA cross country. It was fun to see her on the pro scene here. But she did come up short, finishing second to somebody that we've talked quite a bit about lately. Talking. Is that what I said? Talking? Yeah, you said talking. You can say Somebody talking. that we've, let me try it again. Somebody that we've talked. You know what? Never mind. I'm talking. I'm, I'm sticking with it. <laughs> Someone we've talking quite a bit about lately. Elle Purrier wins the 5K again. Her and Heather McLean are like the, the, the two, you know, most dominant woman in the sport right now they just can't lose to anybody you know when you're in that zone and for us it might just be like when we're out on a three mile jog or something and like oh i feel really good as i get ready for work today and like like el perry is just in the absolute zone she's just crushing records she's out here you know winning this 5k relatively easily i think she won a, it was like a five second difference at the end of the thing there but she's coming off a couple with the mile and the two mile american record in the last uh year or so so she she's in the zone right now and she's in the perfect time to be in the zone because there's a, a busy field for her to compete with the olympic trials coming up i don't even know what event that that she would excel most at at this point um but but she is a force to be reckoned with 
So I'm 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 proud of I'm proud of Ellie Purrier. She it was a great race. She ran well, but that's not what the, I'm most proud about from that from that race. What I'm most proud about is there was only one mention during the entire broadcast <laughs> of Ellie Purrier being a former dairy farmer. So I feel like it, it's mandatory. You have to say it once, but then then let it leave it be. Don't say it again. It didn't get mentioned after she won. It didn't get mentioned in the post-race interview. They said it once on the broadcast, and then they were done with it. So I feel like we're starting to have it. You know what? If that's our lasting legacy in this sport is that we got the broadcast to talk less about how El Purrier came from a dairy farm, then I think we've done our job, gentlemen. I agree too. I can't wait till one day I'm broadcasting one of the races so I can say it at least 45 times. I'll no, make... I think I think we have to. Yeah, all right. No, so you I, go one I, way I or the other. Want to make a mockery? Yeah, I want to make. Yeah, a mockery you go one way or the other. You you don't make any mention of it at all, or you just say it nonstop. Yeah. You just I, every single every single comment has something to do with milk, has something to do with cows, something to do with. Oh, farms. that it would be great if everything was just a milk pun. <laughs> Courier is making a move oh. to the outside. <laughs> yes, yes, I need it. All right, last race to talk about. Not a whole lot to talk about here. I just thought it was, you know, worth mentioning that Coco wins the 10K by over a minute. Um, You know, anytime you see a a professional track meet being won by over a minute, I mean, that is just utter domination. Friend in law of the program? (laughs) I like what you did there. The in law might be a little presumptuous. (laughs) Maybe down the line, it'll be a friend in law. I mean, we know we have that connection now, so maybe a future friend of the program. That's right. Okay, fair enough. Uh, gentlemen, that's all I got for the news. Uh, I do, before before we oh. wrap it up, I do just want to give a shout-out to to uh, Zuhair, Zuhair Talib, who, ran, who won the 10K. Um, only guy that decided to go for it, decided to go after the pace, he maintained a very strong pace. Nobody knew who, who, who he was. He ran close to 28 minutes. Great race. And then the, the post-race uh, interview, he said he had his conference championship later on in the week. So, guy just, Hell I mean, is just another gamer, a guy that just, you know, put me on the starting line. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to compete, and I'm going to win. Yeah, I saw, I saw he runs for Oklahoma City University, which yeah. I was like, had never heard of, obviously. The I'm Juco looking up. Juco, yeah. yep. So good for him for being out there representing OKCU. <laughs> now, that's all I got for this. All right, so we are going to get into our interview with the founder and owner of Sound Running, Jesse Williams. Jesse Williams is a super interesting dude in the sport. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but he's one of the guys that's kind of taking it upon himself to kind of create these professional events, these new types of professional events. He kind of spawned the idea of this crowd crowdfunded purse uh, a couple weeks ago at the 10. He was the former marketing. Uh, he's the former uh, sports marketing manager at Brooks running. And he has a crazy story about the 2012 trials. This is a great conversation. Let's get it. Jesse, can you, can you hear me? Hey, what's going on, guys? Jesse, hey. how's it going, man? I don't know if you uh, if you remember me, but uh, we uh, we worked together at Brooks back in the day. Oh yeah, man, I remember. 
for uh, you, uh, you and Glenn are famous um, to me and Danny because <laughs> you guys jumped in that track town mile and dropped some times. And Danny and I were like, wait, who did what? What, what did those guys run? I'm you pretty sure like I was drunk when I did that too. And ran like 420 something, both of you. <laughs> That's right. I don't want to hear this story. This sounds, Steve, you're famous. Yeah. And it was like, I didn't know that either one of you had even been running that much. And so Danny and I, like, to this day, we'll be like, remember when those guys jumped in that mile? Like, it was just so random. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, because we, we, had, we had Danny on a little over a year ago now. And uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know if he remembered me. And he's like, he's like, I remember you. You ran 428 at, yeah. at Hayward after, after, like, partying for four straight days. Yeah. That's <laughs> the X factor uh, at the trials is uh, if you did that on the very first day, it would be less um, – you know, less impressive than if you did it midway or halfway, all the way through, you know? So, so this is actually the perfect transition into one of the things I wanted to get in with, into with you today. So we need to talk about the 2020 trials. There's so much we need to talk about. I want to talk about sound runner. I want to talk about the 10. I want to talk about your upcoming meets, but yeah. let's talk about the 2012 trials and the run happy plane. So for, for those of you listen that don't know what's going on in 2012, Brooks, flew did some guerrilla marketing and they flew a plane over the stadium at the trials that had a run happy banner um and i believe you had some significant influence in making that happen yeah um so at the time uh our sports marketing department um was me steve DeCoker, and i believe uh jeff stagger at the time so it's a very small group and um we knew we had a bunch of athletes running but you know, um, Eugene is home of Prefontaine, Hayward Field, Nike Town, basically, you know, and so we thought, well, how can we show some love to the athletes? And, uh, you know, jokingly, I think it was Steve DeCoker, um, who's now at On Running, he, um, he, he's like, well, we should just fly a banner or a plane over the stadium, like some run happy plane or something. We kind of like laughed and I don't even know how serious Steve was, but um, you may remember Dave Larson who used to be the head of marketing at Brooks. And um, if you throw a crazy idea out there, that's the idea that Dave likes and it sticks. The ideas that came out of that guy's head while I was at Brooks um, and I'm sure at other companies he's worked at, uh, always unique and genius. And, and so he was like, well, if I can find money, would you guys? And so Steve found a guy who this sounds made up, but it was legitimately like a guy who has this like single engine Cessna and that's what he does. He like flies this plane and we bought this gigantic banner that he hooks to the plane and sent it up. So uh, yeah, it was, you know, uh, kind of an idea Steve DeCoker had and what really came out of it was we got a cease and desist letter on day nine of the trials and the trials is 10 days long. So halfway through day nine or no on day 10 we got the letter because we had flown it on day nine that was the first day we flew it and it's because we had a lot of athletes running on that day and we thought we didn't think about it as guerrilla marketing maybe that's naive to say that but we didn't think about it as guerrilla marketing we thought well, let's be something cool for our athletes to see you know um we got a letter from the usoc saying hey you can't do this don't do it again you have you know broken these rules, whatever it is. Um, and 
the funny thing was, is, you know, we were about to go to the track for day 10, the final day, watch the 1500 finals and a couple other things. And so I, we had this track house and our CEO was in the living room and I, I kind of showed him my phone. I was like, I just got this email. What do you want me to do? And he's like, well, I guess we have to call it off. And so I called Steve who was back at home at that time. Cause he was just, uh, his wife had just given birth to their second girl. So he was at home. He was like, not thinking about the trials. And he's like, I, dude, I called the guy. He's like, he's already up. There's nothing we can do. And so we kind of laughed it off because our CEO was like, well, what do we do? So we just went to the track and we were there for about 10, 15 minutes in our seats before uh, some folks from the USOC and USATF came over and basically told us we needed to leave because we were breaking all these rules. And they couldn't really tell us what rules we were breaking um, because the airspace wasn't secured. So we weren't actually breaking any rules, but Basically, at any event you ever attend, the people organizing the event have the right to throw you out at any point in time for kind of anything. Um, they could say you're doing anything and they can throw you out. It's just the, so we couldn't argue with whether we were doing something right or wrong. We just were getting thrown out. And so me, the CEO, and our VP of marketing, uh, Rick Wilhelm, got thrown out um, of the trials, which we loved. We thought was awesome. Um, we were more angry because like they were yelling at us kind of like little kids, but we also thought it was funny. And I remember Jim went and we went to the little area outside the fence where you can still watch it on the screen and get a beer. And Jim's like, he was all fired up. He's like, let's get a beer. Who cares? You know, like, and that was it. We got a beer and then New York times, all these people picked up on it. And it was kind of this David versus Goliath thing, which is funny to think about now because Brooks is, so much bigger and doing so well and running to think like, you know, it was such a big deal. Um, yeah, it's, it's one of those stories that like, I, I, I ironically get asked about a lot and I would Steve DeCoker's fault. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there's that, that picture of, uh, of you, Jim and Rick, like at the, right. at that party and you're like, you know, pretending you're in handcuffs and you can actually see the plane flying behind you. Yeah, it was right when we left the stadium and uh, uh, Rita Gary, who's now at Furman University, coach at Furman with Robert Gary, um, she saw us leaving and was like, what are you guys doing? Race is about to start. We're like, oh, we just got kicked out. And so she actually took that picture of us. And uh, we, I mean, you could see how funny we thought it was because we're all pretending like we're handcuffed and, you know, the last three people that would ever get thrown out of anything. I mean, right. You know, so like, Maybe me. I mean, I, I'll mouth off, but Jim and Rick are the nicest guys in the world. And so it's like, you know, so it's pretty funny. Yeah. And I, I got to imagine as you're getting kicked out, you know, you feel like, you know, you kind of feel like a badass. You think it's funny, but you're also realizing you are making this way bigger than it needs to be. You're giving, you're essentially giving us the publicity, the boost that we need. You could have just played it off and pretend it never happened, but now right. you're making it a thing. Well, the funny thing is, is if, USOC and USATF never did anything. There would have never been an article. There were just, I mean, at that point, there were a bunch of athletes saying, oh, this is so cool. There's like, you know, I think we had a picture of Amy Hastings, who was an athlete at the time, like with it over her head and she was kind of doing one of these. And um, it was kind of like making a little bit of waves on social media, but social media isn't what it is now in 2012, where things like two seconds, it spreads everywhere. 
2012, it was like, there were a couple tweets about it. Um, Instagram was barely really even, you know, picking up at the time. I mean, it was really small. And what really gave it legs was kicking us out. So it is what it is. I mean, it's kind of like when they, uh, back in the old days where they used to ban a book, they were like, yeah. authors were like, thank you. Keep banning them, you know? It was, it was an idea good enough to get you kicked out. I love it. Was there, did that like fire you guys up for the next time you're in a conference room together, brainstorming like wild marketing ideas? Like where else can we push the boundaries now? Well, you know, what's funny is I would say that our, we were led by Dave Larson who loved ideas like that. Now, guerrilla marketing was, it's something that every company's done at some point in time. Um, even the really big companies who don't like it now used to be really good at it. You know, 1984 Olympic trials in LA, Nike probably did one of the greatest um, guerrilla marketing initiatives in history. It looked like they sponsored the 84 Olympics, but they didn't, you know, and uh, look at what they did. I think it was 2012 with Rio where everybody had the yellow spikes on. And it was like every single athlete in the line had the yellow spikes on. So that was like a form of guerrilla marketing. But um, I would say, we were fired up going into the next meetings and we always took the trials as a moment to shine. Cause we're like every track fan in, in the U S or world is paying attention right now. And if you're a running brand, you need to do something. And so whether it was being on course for a marathon trials, um, doing something for the fans at Hayward. Uh, but we usually focus not on guerrilla market stuff, more on, okay, we're going to have all these people in the same place at once. What can we do um, to enhance that experience for them? So at the Olympic trials, we did morning runs because we're like, well, everybody here is running in the morning. So let's do morning runs, but let's make it fun. And let's have like athletes lead them and let's have like giveaways and let's organize them. Um, in the marathon trials, it was like, we usually had a pretty good party afterwards. That was what we were best at. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, that I, I was working for Brooks. I had been working for them for about two months and I got sent out to the trials and it was like the best week of my life. It was unbelievable. It was so much fun, but it was also kind of like indoctrinated into like what Brooks is and you know, that the, their different approach to the sport and the way they thought different about it. But correct me if I'm wrong, you essentially started the sports marketing department at Brooks. Yeah. So it was kind of, um, when I started, they had just signed to the Hansons. We had no other athletes and the Hansons distance project was this kind of unsponsored um, behemoth in, in the running world, in the, or in the US running world, um, where groups had not really started yet. And so they were one of the first to kind of show like, we're taking these, these collegians and we're turning them into superstars because guess what? We're training together just like people do in college. And now it seems obvious. Now it's like, if you don't sign with a group, it's kind of rare. And there's these powerhouse groups all over the country. But at that time, Hansons were one of the first and they had just signed the Hansons. Dave Larson had just started and I was a guru in DC for like four months and they needed somebody in sports marketing to, to start even the you know most basic stuff. And so I started and I was kind of half events, half sports marketing. And it kind of slowly transitioned to where it became just sports marketing. And then we 
slowly added programs and people and events and started other things. But it was a very long um, process because, you know, we were, we were a small company. I think Brooks was right around a hundred million when I started. And I know um, I'm probably going to hit a billion dollars this year. So it's 10 times bigger now than when I started. And that means, you know, you can do the math on what the budgets were back then and all the different stuff. So yeah, it's, uh, it was cool. It was cool. I got to kind of grow up with the department. Um, I kind of felt like when I started, I really probably didn't know enough to have the job. Um, and I was kind of learning how sports marketing worked while I had the job, which was, you know, I guess very lucky that I was given that opportunity. <laughs> now I think about like somebody like me getting, being given that job. And I was like, I got very lucky. Yeah. Steve will, Steve will talk about Brooks all day here, but we'll try to transition into some more current <laughs> stuff. So well, let's go, let's go a little bit of some of the stuff for sound running though. So you come to sound run, just give us like in the listeners, um, you know, what made you want to start sound running and, and just like what sound running is all about. Yeah. Um, so I decided to leave Brooks in 2017, about midway. I just, I always wanted to do something on my own. I didn't really know what, um, but I, I kind of thought if I don't take the jump, I never will. Like I was going to buy a house in Seattle. I was going to just kind of plant down and, and I thought, well, I know kind of what my, the rest of my life looks like if I stay in that job. I was like, I know where I'm going to be every weekend from here on out. I know like, you know, we have the sales meeting we have this meeting. I just kind of wanted to do something on my own. And it was a really tough decision because I worked with pretty much all my best friends. That was probably the hardest part. Um, taking the leap to do sound running wasn't hard. It was leaving best friends um, behind. But uh, yeah, so I took a year off and then I knew I wanted to do something in the sport. And I didn't start out thinking sound running would do events. We were going to do training and partner with events to do their training um, and to do customizable training, which we still do all those things. Um, but then in 2019, there was this big gap in the calendar because worlds were a month later than usual. And so were us champs. So instead of late June, us champs were in late July. And there was this like five or six week gap in the race calendar and still friends with all those coaches and all those people. I just kept talking to them. They're like, if we just had something, you know, it'd be great if there's a meet somewhere. And I just thought, well, Southern California has got perfect weather. What if I put on something down here? I've got the time. And we put together a meet and all these sponsors started kind of coming on board and saying, Hey, we want to get involved and everything kind of clicked. And it was kind of one of those light bulb moments where you're like, this would be, we could be pretty good at this. And this was something that was a big gap when I was on the other side of it. When I was in a sports marketing role, I kept thinking, why are we sending all of our athletes to Europe um, when they're just competing against each other, but they have to take a $2,000 flight and stay in a hotel and do all these different things, you know, to race each other. Um, that, well, maybe we can be a solution and put on these events and it would kind of help with our training side, but it would uh, also build a brand and it would kind of be a little bit of um, us putting our efforts where our, uh, I guess all our complaints were. Uh, we were always complaining about all this stuff. And so 
if we could be a little part of the solution. And that's kind of where it started. It wasn't a plan. It wasn't like, oh, we're going to leave, I'm going to leave Brooks and we're going to do events and we're going to do this. It was kind of, um, it, it just kind of happened. And then once we realized this could be really good and we could do good for the sport. Um, now we're kind of full on into it. We're um, working with other event directors to try to really bring these events and a formal season to life. But uh, it wasn't the, it wasn't a plan I would say, or a very, um, yeah, if I'd written an outline of what I was going to be doing a couple of years after leaving Brooks, I probably wouldn't say this. <laughs> so, well, so I, I, I kind of get the sense right now with, you know, how crazy the world is and the real lack of opportunities for athletes to, to compete right now. I feel like sound runners kind of taking a sense of responsibility right now to give those athletes a place to go and a, and a, and a place to compete. Do you feel that at all right now? Uh, you know, part of it was I'm competitive and I didn't want to lose momentum. We had all these things planned for 2020 and I had written out all these like this is what we're going to do in 2020. We're going to put these meets on and we're going to sell out stadiums and we're going to have prize money. And we're going to, we're going to change the, the track circuit. And then COVID hit and it turned into, okay, well, we can't do any of those things, but our number one goal is to serve the sport and the athletes. What can we do? And that is, can we figure out a way to pull off safe meets, even if it's for a small amount of people and people to hit standards or people just to uh, get a race in and, and not feel crazy, you know, for a little bit. Um, and so that's what it turned into. And I also think working with the other event directors, a lot of us felt it was on us to people are going to race and athletes and agents and coaches are going to figure out a way, but we felt uh, it was on us to make sure people were doing that safely or as safely as possible. Um, there's no hundred percent. Right. But um, we felt like if we put together protocols and we do this as safe as possible and control it, that's better than people just trying to do random stuff on their own and no safety and no whatever. And so I guess yeah, it, we didn't really look at it as like our responsibility, but I think we're competitive enough and um, we didn't want to lose uh, the momentum, you know? And so that was a big piece, a big motivator. And then these, these events, most recently, a couple coaches had come to us and said, hey, we kind of want to stay in this area, this kind of Southwest area. Are there any of, you know, are you putting on anything? And they were kind of like, please put on something, not, are you putting on anything? And so they're like, we're not running indoors, you know? And I think that's before people realized new balance was going to happen for sure. But we kind of put these on for those, you know, for those coaches and teams. And um, that's where we are right now. We're hoping that uh, the spring and uh, summer look a little better though. Yeah. You went from uh, not planning on putting on races to like the go-to guy to put these races on, but from our perspective, like sound running killed it this year because with the, the disruption of the, the traditional circuits and a, a bunch of meets being canceled or thrown out, 
I mean, it brought more attention to some different races and some of the sound races, I feel like were some of the ones that we got most excited about for, you know, the, the late night streams and we'd get on, you know, zoom calls like this and, and watch it. Um, and I feel like it just brought a lot of attention to you guys with, with some success. Like, was it a successful year for sound running? Like, do you look back on it and like, wow, we really took advantage of this and not like you're trying to take advantage from a business standpoint. I mean, you are, but you're also, we're saying this is going to be a safe way to do it. But I feel like in the end, like we're looking back on it, like you guys seem like you really capitalized on the opportunity. Yeah, I would say we were very lucky. Um, first of all, we're in Southern California. And so I feel like that's like having uh, Michael Jordan on your team, you know, to begin with. Um, like you can't mess up too many other things because like, so the SoCal weather, um, we have the ability to have, you know, kind of, nine days out of 10, 95 days out of a hundred, we're going to have kind of your ideal race conditions, which helps. Um, so that that's the, one of the biggest things we have in our backcourt, but outside of that, yeah, I mean, we put a lot of effort into doing these things safely. And I think also because of COVID and because of the lack of events, especially the really big ones, um, people would look at like our December event, and they had two months where they knew it was going to happen. They had nothing else on the calendar. There are no marathons, no fall road races, no cross country season. And they could focus 100% on one big day. And they also knew that they couldn't go race the next weekend because, oh, it didn't work out. They kind of went all in. And that's unique in itself. Um, it does, it, you know, it helps like create like a vacuum for those events. Um, but man, I, you know, I've talked to several other meet directors and we're pretty over the situation where it comes to um, the venue is the easiest thing for a sporting event. You know, your venue like a year out, six months out, it's no problem. And usually venues are competing for you guys. Um, venue is the hardest part right now. And the venue is also the thing that could, you could have a meet plan and it could fall out for four days before. Yeah. So it's, and that's not a fun thing. You're like, we have all the athletes, we have everything set up, we've done marketing, we built a prize purse. Oh, and then the venue falls through. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, we're in a weird world right now where there's a lot of empty venues. Outdoor sports is shown to be very or much safer than other things. And especially with COVID protocols, but there's also a lot of red tape. And I think, most facilities are just drowning in that red tape right now. Yeah. Just don't want to put up with it. Yeah. So it's been, that's hard. It's not fun. So you, you mentioned quickly about the, uh, the purse there. And, you know, I think the, you know, we've talked so much about the idea of this crowdfunded purse. Where did the idea come from and how do you think it went? Because I, I just quickly, from our perspective, we really like it, right? Because you are, you are kind of pulling these meets together relatively quickly without a ton of lead time. Like it's kind of like, you know, you're, that's just kind of the circumstances you're given right now. And you know, better than anybody that sometimes these marketing budget from these companies are tied up well in advance. So you got to be creative how you pull together this money. And the way we see it is if, if we were to buy a pay-per-view uh, UFC match or boxing match, we're essentially contributing to the purse by doing that. Um, and so we have no problem doing that for the sport that we're huge fans of. Um, so in your, from your perspective, how did it go and where did this idea come from? 
so the idea originated, there's a bunch of event directors that have gotten together to pull together this track series that we're hoping becomes this formal season we have every year in the US. Something fans can follow, something athletes can count on, um, whether it's prize money or just events that they know they can count on year after year. But um, so talking to this group, we knew we wanted to do um, potentially do some streaming on our own and which is not easy, but we thought, well, what if we could bring it to more people um, by putting it on YouTube, but that also means there's no revenue and prize, prize money is not easy, you know, to find, especially if you want to do it right. And there's also costs for production. There's travel. There's all these things. These, none of these people work for free. Um, even though pretty close, you know, they're really, you know, into the sport for the right reasons. And so that helps, but, uh, you know, it kind of came from that. We are like, well, we can do a pay-per-view type setup. And no matter what, whether it was crowdfunded prize purse um, or a pay-per-view, we knew the idea was all of it goes to the athletes because um, that's really what we're trying to do. And the hardest part of these events is the athletes will show up anyway, but we want to make sure we're, we're giving them uh, you know, the, the purse, the money to, to shoot for as well. This is a professional sport and it's, they shouldn't be showing up for free or competing for free. And so that was kind of the genesis. And we still are going back and forth with, is it a crowdfunded thing where kind of go to that well every time we do one of these, or is it a pay-per-view thing and knowing that the messaging is still always all of it goes to the athletes. Um, Cause then it allows us to use sponsorship money to pay for production, to pay for facility, to pay for timing, to pay for pacers, you know, all the other things, travel, all this stuff. And so if we open it up and give the fans a chance one way or another, whether they're saying, Hey, I'll pay X amount to view this or, Hey, thanks for putting it up on YouTube. I'll, crowdfund anyway. Um, I would say we're in the experimental stages of that right now. And uh, it's, it's one of those ideas that I was, when we were presenting it, I thought either people are gonna love this or people are gonna say like, oh, these meat directors can't even do their job. They're, they're asking us to pay for it. And I was waiting for that. And I'm sure there's a couple of people that said that, but um, the majority of the response seemed to be like, oh, this is cool. I'm donating some money. Cause you know, they put it up on YouTube. Um, yeah, I would, I would say it was an idea from the group um, after considering a bunch of different things, but the focus was no matter what we do for this series, we want to make sure that that viewership money that's generated, whether it's pay-per-view or crowdfunded, is going to the athletes, like 100% yeah. or 99.9%, whatever it is. I got, I got no idea what a better you know, decision would have been, what would have brought in more money, but I loved it. There's something about just like a paywall that just pisses off track fans. And it's not like your events per se. It, it's so much of track and the media of track that's covered has been put behind a paywall. And I just feel like 
you know, it's an instant turnoff when we see it, even if you have like the, the marketing people like Steve would be smart enough to say, Trent, no, it's going to the athletes, but me, I would first see it. So I hope you guys keep experimenting with it. I just want more time. That was my complaint. I was like, let's get some more buildup. I know you don't, that wasn't in your control, but I hope we can see something like this for something that I have a little more time to get excited about to know that like my money might make whoever, you know, kick a little harder down that home stretch as that purse gets higher. I don't know. I love yeah. the idea of it. I hope I that's, see it again. That's the catch 22 of doing all of this on our own is um, building that up and building all that content and getting fans excited um, is a lot of work and expensive outside of like you putting up a couple tweets or doing whatever, but like actually really building all that up, it takes a lot of time. And I, we do want to provide it to as many fans as possible. We considered every, avenue we considered streaming it through a service we considered a bunch of other things and the the reality is we wanted to make sure we controlled the the money and where it went and we thought fans would get into that that being said that's what i was talking about with the pay-per-view it's still paywall in essence but we thought fans would get would be okay with it if they were like well if i pay whatever to watch this meet, all of that is going to the prize purse. And so it's a little different. Um, mm -hmm. And if you look at it, yeah, it's gonna, it, it'll be uh, our March 6th meet is going to be pretty amazing. Um, we're gonna start announcing fields um, probably tomorrow. And it's, it should be one of the, the better meets of the year. And I think it'll be a better indication also on the streaming side and uh, building the prize per side, like what we can do and what's possibly out there. Cause it's one thing to ask once, but if you ask again, what do people do, you know, and that we don't know yet. So I'm, I keep thinking I'm a negative person. I'm like, can't keep asking the same people, you know, for this. And, and I think everybody else is a little bit more optimistic. Well, I know we only have a, we have a, a small group of listeners, small but loyal, but we'll do our part to try and promote this. I'm really excited. So we got the event on March 6th. We should be looking out for. Is there anything else on the calendar we should be paying attention for? Is it still, uh, is it still too early for that? Uh, our, our, our pro track series kicks off uh, May 14th and 15th. Um, we have another event that's kind of, you know, officially kicking off our um, season and so trackseries.org has all of our meets um, for that formal, you know, professional season. And that's probably the, I mean, there's definitely people really working to put something together. I know there's a couple other meets in early May that are trying to, they're trying to make it through the, all the guidelines and all the red tape to happen. Um, but yeah, March 6th is probably the biggest thing we have going. And then it's two more months until, back to our regular schedule. I mean, we were, we only planned every year to have this May meet, which is a qualifier. And then the three Under Armour Sunset Tour meets, which are meant to keep people in the US. They don't need to go to Europe and race. They can just stay on the West Coast, crush these three meets, win some prize money, stay closer to home. And uh, that was, that's what's supposed to be on tap on a yearly basis, not all these extra meets, but it's a unique year, obviously. Well, keep, keep doing it. We love it. Um, I cannot wait for this March 6th meet. It's going to be a ton of fun. My one suggestion 
Can we get yeah. in a little bit early for the East Coast, guys? I mean, I'm getting old. I can't I can't stay up past midnight anymore. I just give it give me one more hour there, Jesse. It's you know what's funny is it's something we think about. I mean, if if we could do the meet um from five to seven uh east or west coast time, it'd be perfect, right? Um the problem is so when uh, Jerry and the Bowerman crew showed up at probably like well, when I showed up to start setting up midday, it was like 20 mile per hour winds. Really? And that's the thing is this time of year during the day, it's windy. And then it just slowly tapers. So even at the races started 8.15, at six o'clock, I was still like, I don't know. This is like, usually the winds died down by now. And even when Jerry showed up at like 6.30, and with the Bowerman crew, we did like a walk around the track and we're still like, still probably like 10 mile per hour. We're like, I don't know. I mean, a 10 K 10 mile per hour, like that's still a lot. Yeah. And by eight o'clock, I remember joking, you know, walked over to Jerry and I was like, I uh, got rid of that wind for you, man. You know, cause it was gone eight o'clock. It was gone. Yeah. And so had we done the race at seven and been 10 mile per hour winds, had we done it at six, They've been probably 15 mile per hour winds. Now that's not always the case. Um, and I think you'll see our May and uh, July meets move, move up a little bit. But another thing that we hit in July is the heat. So another phenomenon in SoCal is it will legit be a hundred degrees during the day and it'll be 65 at, at 8.30 at night. And so it's like perfect distance. Right. So it does, it, it does create that viewing problem. And I think if we're just racing, which we're hoping that the sunset tour becomes more of like, it's all about racing. Yeah. We're not doing time trials. It's we're racing each other. We're racing for the pot. Cause I think we've gotten away from that a little bit in the sport. Definitely. Um, everything's become a time trial and I don't know. How now you're speaking our language, Jesse. Let's go. It's all yeah, about the no, competition. Preach. You know, like everything's been coming time trial. And I think competition is, that's what we're going to focus on in the July meets. I mean, the main meet, you need your times to make U.S. teams and to make the trials. So we're still going to go all in. But in July, there's, you know, like you've, you've already run your stuff. Like it's time to compete and win some money. And so we're hoping to do that. And if we do that, we can move events. We can move the times down because the weather is not as important. It could be warm or it could be a little windy. So, Give me brutal conditions. I want to see people gutting it out, battling for that win. I don't care about the time. Oh, yeah. Some of the, some of the most famous races I can think of are like, you know, I think one year in Indianapolis, it was so hot and humid, like Ritz passed out, like... <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if it was like at the finish or during the last lap or he just went, he went so deep into the well and it was because it was so hot and humid. And I know uh, Des Moines one year, it was brutal and the five Kers jogged, but then like that last lap mile was like sub four and it was just, everybody's overheating. I mean, it, it creates some drama and there's a lot of prize money on the line. So uh, yeah, we're, we're on the same page. We need to see some racing. It, right. it sounds like we need it a little earlier for the East coast people and we'll have the advantage of some awful weather. Um, Jesse, before we wrap up, I do need to ask you a question on behalf of Steve and I both. So you're a Texas tech guy, right? Mm -hmm. Are you recovered yet from watching Tom Brady kick Mahomes' ass? <laughs> you know um, it's weird. Cause I actually watched that game um, with some friends and 
I, I said, I want Kansas City to win because Mahomes is there. And that's essentially my only dog in that fight. Like, I didn't care. I love the fact that Tom Brady's 43 and he's competing at that level and he's got less, less than ideal speed and all these other things that, and he's still doing it. Um, so I love that story. I don't like the super team thing um, in any sport, you know, whether it's basketball or football, it seems to be happening now. Um, so I kind of root against that, but at the same time, it's like, how can you root against Gronk and Brady? Um, but I do think I saw a, a, a stat or something afterwards about like Mahomes was like the player of the game. If you just looked at like the athleticism of what he did to try to pull things together, I mean, some of his almost passes and some of his scrambling, you know, like have the two most incredible incomplete passes of all time. Yeah. I mean, as a Texas tech fan, I I left that game going or nothing else he could have done. Mm -hmm. And he still looked like one of the best athletes on that field or ever to play that position, even though they lost. And even though he looked like he was not healthy too, like he did not look okay. And yet he still looked like the best athlete on the field. It was impressive. There's a video going around where like, it looked like he could probably have gone pro in any, any sport. He threw like 90 something in high school and he was dunking over people and one of the best in the state in basketball. Uh, It's, I don't know how Texas Tech got him, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> so, you know, but uh, yeah, very proud alum, alum for, uh, for sure. Jesse, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a lot of fun. This has been a long time coming. You're actually one of the most requested guests that we have. Like there's been, there's been a handful of people over the years that have reached out and say, you got to get Jesse Williams on. That's awesome. This is, this is, this has been, um, it's been a long time. Find my mom emailing you guys. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we end every interview with a quick game. It's called down the home stretch where we're going to fire rapid fire questions at you around one topic. And since you sell training plans on your website, we're going to ask you questions about which training plan we could pick. So Trent's going to kick us off. Trent ask the first question. All right, Steve, Steve reminded me I need this one. So I have a broken collarbone. I just got out of the sling. I, uh, you know, it was two months ago now about, I have a five mile, peak too early has a five miler in about two and a half weeks. So I haven't run in two months and I didn't run too much before that, but I have a five mile in two weeks and my, my collarbone is still broken, but it's feeling pretty good. How, how do I get fast for this? Ooh, I always say um, the number one thing you could do is just jog every day. If you have that limited amount of time is just getting out the door and jogging every day. I wouldn't attempt a long run or a workout, or I would just attempt to get out the door and get as comfortable running as possible. Cause that doesn't sound like, I don't know, like you could be doing a little bit of this. I don't know. Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've had a broken rib running before and I know how painful that was, let alone, collarbone so i would say just get used to running got it. Got it. <laughs> you know um, he's just making excuses don't let him don't let him saved up fitness in there somewhere i always say the older you get the more you have that like you know years and years of grinding fitness in there oh, i would bet I think disagree. So. pull off that <laughs> i don't know where that fitness is all right so i uh i want to do as little as possible but still be able to win a local 5k which training plan should i pick Ooh. Uh, that's tough that I, we actually, we need a training plan like that where it's just like, 
you want to do as little as possible. This is the two day a week training plan. Um, I have a friend in San Diego and he was a pretty talented runner and he trains about two, three days a week. And what he does is he runs about five miles per run, but one of those runs will be, um, he'll do drills. It's like really big on that. One run will just be a jog and one run he tries to do a bit of a tempo. And I always thought that was a pretty good idea. Like, it's like, oh, if you're going to stay fit on three days a week, that's a pretty good schedule of one jog, one run where you're kind of focusing on form, and then another run where you're kind of taxing, uh, you know, yourself the way you would when you're going to race. Uh, yeah, if you want to show up and, you know, you can't, you can't uh, stay away from those tempos too long. But you don't need to be grinding out quarters or, you no, know, none of that. that stuff. you don't need 70 miles a week. Uh, you know, maybe the 15 mile a week program is the right one. All right, I, all right. We need one of those. We, that's a good idea. Maybe that's add that to our, uh, to our, you know, library. <laughs> all right. I, I have one for in college. We used to run the underground 400 where all the 5k, 10k guys after the last race, of the outdoor track season, we would run a 400 like a week later. Now, sometimes people weren't totally sober for it. People definitely hadn't run all week so that you could definitely approach it better. So how do I win the underground 400 as a 10 K runner? Uh, well, you pick your mom and your dad really well. <laughs> Good answer. Good because answer. I could train my heart out and I'm not beating that many people at a quarter. Um, and I was a 10 K runner in college I would have gotten just crushed by everybody on my team in the quarter. Um, even if I trained for it, I would say, uh, pick your mom and dad. Well, because that overall speed we, we did, um, my last year at Brooks, there was like a random day where almost, I would say like 30% of the company went to the track, went to a track and did a 400 <laughs> and I'm not, I didn't happen to be there. I was at an event or something, but I saw the results afterwards. And it was like people who you knew they were athletic, but you wouldn't, I don't know. I, I was hearing about people that were like in the customer service department, they ran 58 and they haven't run in two years. And it was like, and then some guy dropped a 54 and you're like, I run every day and I would be the ugliest 62 out there. I'd get beat by 90% of the people that I work with who probably don't even consider themselves runners. And that's when I look at it and I go like, pick your mom and your dad. Very I'm not well. sure you can sell that one though. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I guess this is less of a question and more of a request. I think we need to add a beer mile training plan to sound runners uh, repertoire. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, I've done, I think I've done one successfully, one unsuccessfully, and the rest I just like to watch. Um, so I'm not the expert, but I know some people that would be. Um, maybe we'll have uh, Simmons co-write that one. That's right, yeah. You know, he's, I think he's run sub five, which now is like, now people are running 430 or something, but. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah, we have to get Lewis Kent on that one. I think he had the world record at one point. He did, he did. Yeah, that's a good, uh, you know, I don't know. Um, maybe we get a couple of beer sponsors in on that, but um, 
you know, there might be some legal stuff around a training plan. Uh, you know, <laughs> the wheels are rolling people, here. If you could see the video, Jesse's got like, the wheels going. Yeah. <laughs> we're telling people to binge drink. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Jesse, this has been a ton of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, like I said, it's been a long time coming. We wish you and Sound Runner the best of luck. We're going to be supporting it. We're going to be watching it. Uh, we're going to be giving, giving all the hype to these upcoming meets. No, I appreciate it. Thank you guys so much and uh, for everything you do for the sport. And before we end, there is one thing we need to um, end on, if you don't mind. Okay. I believe Danny Mackey called me out for, I said, running week start on Sunday. How did I forget about this? Yes. And just because he's never uh, been right and I've been wrong, um, I feel like I want to make sure that if you look at your phone – and you open it up and Apple's a fairly big company. Uh, <laughs> when does the week start? It's a good point. It's a good point. On calendar. It's on Sunday. And when does every week start on every calendar you've ever seen in your life? Like not that people use calendars on their walls anymore, but now I will give the caveat that anybody that's grown up in the Strava Garmin era like people like me won't exist in like 10 years because people are never going to use calendars again for logs and they're never going to use their phone and all that stuff. But when I was in high school and college, we just, you know, we just had a regular calendar and you wrote your mileage on that. And I think that's why I'm Sunday to Saturday. So I will say right now we're at a turning point where people have an argument that it's Monday to Sunday, but in 10 years, there'll be no argument it'll be Monday to Sunday because Strava and Garmin and Fitbit will have like made it that way. But Apple's holding on strong. Apple's holding on strong and you can't discount Apple. You can't. And I, I do have a confession to make because I was vehemently on the side of Monday to Sunday. Um, since then, uh, to get my act together, I needed to do something. So I bought a giant calendar whiteboard and it starts with Sunday. So I have been going Sunday to Saturday. So that's just a confession I have well, to make. I got to backtrack. You can be, you can be as OCD as I am. And I use Strava pretty much, uh, since a pandemic started, I've been on Strava pretty hardcore and like really paying attention. And in my mind, I have my Sunday to Saturday calendar, but on Strava, it's obviously not that. And I still record in my log Sunday to Saturday, but Strava doesn't. And I don't look at it. I'm like, I don't care what it says, how many miles I ran that week. I ran this. And so I have kind of two different logs. And I realize at this point, like, it's just a loss leader. It's going to end soon for all of us Sunday to Saturday people. <laughs> Join the good side. Yeah. Right so side. I understand. Be on the right side of history. Well, Monday through Sunday. I'll say this. I have a couple of friends that do the Monday to Sunday and it really influences what they do on their long run. Instead of like, your long run should be what your long run should be. Instead, they get to Saturday and they're like, well, I need 20 to hit my mileage. Yep. Instead of like, what should your long run be that day? It's a good point. So, because but, it forces you to, it forces you to, it, it gives you an opportunity to use the long run to hit your mileage goal for the week instead of just following the training plan. Right. That's probably why it's better to do like the Hansons do where they're on like, 10 day cycles, or I think the Bassard group, Bassard group also does the, uh, 
10 day cycles. That's why those are probably better. So no, we don't get in that situation. Probably. You're All right. Well, I appreciate uh, you guys letting me sound off on that last piece there. It's just, I it's can't been, believe I almost forgot. We forgot. We forgot to talk about it. I'm glad you brought it up. It's been sitting with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, seriously, man, this is awesome. It's good to see you. It's been, it's been too long. So I know, man. Good to see you. Hopefully, uh, you know, we all re- reunite at the trial this summer. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully it happens. You can throw down another 420 something mile. Nope. We got the training plan now. That's three right, days a right. week. Yep. That's right. All right. <laughs> Thanks again, man. All right, guys. See you soon. Trust me like a soccer father. Polos with my target. Jeans rolled up. And again, we're coming out of that interview with Jesse Williams with the music from our favorite punk rock band, Bury Mia. Their new single is coming out on March 5th. And I just saw that Tin Man is doing this whole drop around it. I mean, these guys are like the running band. Like if you're, if there's any band out there that kind of supports the running culture, the distance running culture, it's these guys. Yeah, it's this Friday. This Friday is the release. Oh so, shoot! Is that already March fifth? Damn! It's already March fifth, Steve. I, yeah. I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta start working on my New Year's resolution. We're already yeah. on March fifth. <laughs> Jesus Christ! Yeah. Go. So I mean, you've gotten to hear it, you know, a couple times here, the last couple of weeks. Hopefully, you know all the words by now. But uh, you know, go ahead and download that for our guys over at Barimia on Friday, March fifth. All right. So our for our last segment today, we drew some in for inst some inspiration from the some trouble speaking. Today. Yeah, I know we're having some trouble speaking. Today. Sorry. It's a little bit drawing some inspiration from the NBA top shot craze that's going on. And so for those that you don't know, it's essentially these online trading cards or highlights that people are buying that are going for insane money. And they're like really tough to get Trent. You've dabbled a little bit in the top shot world. Haven't you? I'm embarrassed to say I haven't actually. I've been following it closely, trying to buy the dip, but it's just been up to the moon like a freaking rocket ship. So I've been sitting on the sidelines waiting for the right opportunity to come in and buy all the Marcus Smart. Steve, here's the problem is that this is something that if Trent had caught wind about, he would have bought and invested so much. He would have so many highlights. It would be ridiculous. Even if you couldn't make money off it, just the idea of like you being able to own basketball highlights Trent will be all in it. The problem is, is he's the least online person in the world. So he didn't find out about it until probably like yesterday when all the packs are already gone. That is true. And the other problem is, is I lost too much money on GameStop that I couldn't get myself into another crazy like internet bubble. So I need to give myself a little bit of time. Here. Well, Trent, aren't you making your money back right now on GameStop? I saw it was back up to like one one thirty today. Uh, let's talk about the top shot, Steve. <laughs> I think it's safe to say that if the three of us are talking about something, it's probably well past the peak. Yeah, I so, know. This I might mean, not, be, not be relevant <laughs> anymore. I don't know. Anyways, so we took this idea and said, okay, 
let's apply this to the running world and let's make our own top shot of running and what would be like the clips that that we would take and the thing is it's like you can't pick a certain race it's it's a highlight reel so it has to be like you know five ten seconds max it has to just be a short snippet like during a race before a race or after a race that would you know be the the running top shot so um does anybody want to kick us off with, with one of their top shots oh man i'm i'm scared to, to see where to start yeah sure I'll, I'll go with one that i doubt none of you have because it's kind of obscure but i was just trying to think of like yeah that moment in time like a, a great highlight clip and the first one, for whatever reason that came to my mind, is Ben Flanagan coming down the home stretch of the Falmouth Road race, throwing his arms in the air, celebrating like crazy. I want that 10-second clip of Ben just losing his mind in Falmouth. I need it. So this is going to be one of those ones, you know, it's, it might That's not a great go, one. I love that. Yeah, it might not go for like, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars. But for the, you know, the people who know and the people who are big Ben fans, they're going to want this highlight. That's a great one. I mean, just a, just an all time, like crossing the finish and celebration that that would be a great top shot. I agree. I'd, I'd spend $10,000 on that. 10,000. <laughs> Absolutely. No doubt in my mind. It's worth that. And it's just going to shoot up from there. So I think that's a good, wise investment, Trent. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I, I got a few different types of top shots here. And, and Let's I'm go sure. one at a time. Give us, give us your first one. Yeah, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like what angle I want on a start. I definitely have a di- I definitely have a few different types for sure. So, top shot, something where somebody Jeez, has. Can a- we just comment on that win first? Holy it, it crap! That's a I can hear it in the down. microphone. That's freaking wild. We can we can cut this if we need to, but it's no, not no, no, no. We don't cut anything. What is what is your I'm window? Getting, the jitters are coming back here. No, the windows are all closed. It's just I'm on like the third floor up here. The podcast studio is up in the attic, so. Um, no but I I was going to say with Top Shot oftentimes you get you know uh, Semi Ojale for the Celtics has like a good game and all of a sudden his Top Shot value is going to go up so I was looking at like things that were just happening yesterday or something super recent Um, so I'll go to the trials and miles and we're just talking about it and you got to take like I don't know if I'm looking at that probably Ingles kicking out Cabral at the end there like a meet that means nothing whatsoever a few years now it wasn't even the fastest heat of that night but that's the kind of thing where it has a little like three-day bubble if you can get in on that early you're getting like a nice little profit you gotta you gotta buy and just sell that thing pretty early but you want that like quick little little bubble from a couple days ago i hear that yeah i like i like where your head's at on that uh but on the flip side i started thinking about like okay what are like the 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 iconic classic moments from the sports that would you know instantly be worth a ton of money in the top shot world and i was actually inspired by the the harriers bet on women's shirt and what about that that classic scene of like Catherine switzer you know running the boston marathon and she's trying to get pulled out and her boyfriend actually like you know laid out the race director i mean that would be you know one of the all-time running top shots right yeah i mean i think that one that's gonna be you're gonna have to get one of those like I forget even what they call them. They have a different level of like packs. You got to get like the emerald pack or whatever it's mm. called to, to get a chance at that. And That's the, like the fifty thousand dollars right there for mm. sure. Yeah. The, the other the other crazy thing about Top Shot is like they have like weird things that change the value, right? If it's the if it's the first of its kind, then it's more valuable than the other high the same highlight, but the other ones. And then the other one is like, wait, they make duplicates. 
Yeah, so it's like depending on how valuable it is, just like playing cards or like baseball. I do not understand this at yeah, all. Yeah, right. So, but like something that's super rare might only have ten highlights that you can buy at all, right? Only ten top shots that are available out there. So the one that's like serial number one is going to be more valuable than serial number eight. But also, if it matches, if the serial number matches the player of like their number. So if LeBron serial number 23 for one of his highlights is going to be more valuable than just your average serial number. My brain hurts. Let's yeah, long, long, long story short. What I was trying to get at is I don't know how you incorporate that into these, but like bib number, maybe, yeah, maybe bib number or something. Bib like number that. winning time okay. or something. Ooh, time. Good. I like yeah. that. Can, yeah. can I do a classic? Cause we're on the classics now. Yeah. I'm not, I'm just going to cut in here. I was thinking, so one of our P2E classics that we did uh, during the, uh, the long days of the quarantine, we did the Dave Waddle uh, 1972 Summer Olympic gold medal. And I just want the top shot of him when he's in like last place all by himself. So he has his cap on and he, like, you have to know the race and know what's eventually going to happen. But it's just got to be him like from behind. So he's just trailing the field by whatever it was, like 10 yards at one point before he comes in and he swoops up everybody for the gold in the 800. So I want that Dave Waddle, just baseball cap, like very far behind everybody for maybe just like five strides. I love that one so much because one, I never would have thought about like picking out that moment. That's a great moment, but also anybody who is not privy to what happens in that race would be like, this is the worst highlight ever. <laughs> yeah, it's in last, last place. place. <laughs> Um, all right. Well, since we're on the a run of classics here, um, I got a couple classics, but I think we'll go with this one. Um, it wouldn't be a specific one because obviously it happens a lot, but just any Prefontaine race, you know, the snap of the tape, you know, his little the snap of the snap, tape. Yeah, I had that. Tape. I think I think that would be an all time top shot i mean i think you maybe even like a montage a quick montage of the the tape getting snapped or his biggest race or something like that i think that that's going to be a huge huge number value there can we please bring back the tape i mean that looks so awesome every time he crosses the line he slaps that down let's bring that back i love that why don't we have that you know we get get rid of all the the you know the 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 uh, finish line controversy there there should be tape but that's a terrible top shot because they would make so many of them. Like think of all the posters, the Steve Fiorentine posters in every runner's room of him just, just with the quote underneath it. There'd be so many of that. That'd be, it'd be worth nothing. It'd be like one of 2 million uh, pre-Fontaine. So I'm sorry, Mike, but I think your top shot is worth like $3. That's it. That's fair. All right. So let's get out of the classic category a little bit and let's go back to a little bit more of a recent, you know, something that is, is high value because it happened, you know, within the past couple months. I'm going to go with the Noah Drotty puke at the end of the marathon project. Oh, oh, yeah. I love it. I love it. I feel like that's one that would be rare, right? Because they wouldn't want to yeah. have a bunch of those floating around. So I actually think that would kind of be worth a lot of money. I think I think we might, you know, get 100K for, for Noah Drotty puke. I'd pay 100K for that. No doubt about <laughs> it. That's easy. Oh, I love it. I'll I'll do a, a, a non-running one here. And I think this is one where uh, – like kind of like the pump and dump that we've all been learning about with, with GameStop and some of the mean stocks here. But I want to do a, like a, a Quentin Dendy long jump, just like a, an underneath uh-huh. profile, a Dendy of having him like flying through the air. Uh, and I want to get that little like upshot. Maybe that's. <laughs> 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 I mean, dude, 
I like. Sorry, I think they have other types of websites for that sort of thing, Chad. All right, all right. I'm gonna say that again. Chad, thought we were talking. No, about we don't cut things. anything. We don't cut that. All right, we're rolling with it. I wanted Dendy one, and then we, we when we plug it on our podcast, we people will tell people to know, like buy this ahead of time. We plug it, it gets popular, and then that thing gets just you know worth six hundred thousand dollars. So. All right. Well, since we're on like the. Uh kind of blooper reel here steve taking some puking trent taking uh you know the the underneath <laughs> marquis dendy i'm gonna go with the blooper one too and i think this one kind of falls in the category you're talking about trent where this one would be so widely distributed that i don't know that the value would be that high but it's one that i want to have and this is a montage of steeple falls just Ooh. like the top three steeple falls, just people face planting right into the water pit. That's what I need. I need that one. I'm gonna I'm gonna pay some money for that one. I got another great blooper one that would go for big bucks. I mean, this one, this actually, this one actually might be the most expensive running top shot of all time. Because it's that good of a clip, it's that iconic of a clip. So it's when I think it was 2015 world championship. Usain Bolt crosses the finish line, mm-hmm. dominant finish, does his pose, gets the flag. He's doing the lap around the doing the lap around the stadium. And as he's doing the lap around the stadium, he gets taken out by the Segway. Remember that happened? He got undercut by the Segway. And for a split second, everybody thought that this camera guy on the Segway ended the greatest the greatest track athletes uh, of all time career. I mean, just such an iconic clip. Now, Usain Bolt's a superhuman, so he jumped up and pretended like nothing ever happened. But in that moment, that split second was like, holy crap, Usain Bolt just got taken out by a camera guy on a Segway. I, of course, had Usain on my list here, but mine was, you know, him crossing the line and, and doing the point. I did not consider that top shot, and that one is much, much better. Love it. Does, does top shot have blooper ones where just like know, somebody shoots an arrow? I think we just cre- I think we just created a new, you know, the next the next pack of of top blooper shot cards. Is the blooper cards, yeah. I'm excited. Anybody have any more? I got, I got, I got one. More. I got a Anybody couple. Got I got a couple. Right, I got, go I got me. a couple pandering picks here. I'm gonna put these together because I think they're very, very similar. Um, yeah, just because it's a personal favorite of mine. I think, you know, Leo Manzano's kick to the finish in the Olympics to get silver is a big one. And then this is my pandering pick: uh, Centro uh, winning gold, coming across the line, throwing the flag around him. You know, I've always been a big Centro guy. He's always <laughs> been my boy. Uh, so I, you know, I'd want to make sure that I had had that top shot. For Centro, sure. come on the pod. Let's go, dude. <laughs> I had, you know, a couple other ones too. I, actually, you, you go. I'll come back. I don't want to steal anybody else. All right. So this, I think this is going to be another high price one. And I don't know if they, they make these types of ones, but I think that they're going to have to make this one special. So uh, a quick clip of Desi getting out kicked at Boston, going down, you know, going down Boylston into the finish. So it's, it's a couple seconds of her getting out kicked down, down the, down the home stretch and then cut to her crossing the finish line several years later as the Boston marathon champion in the pouring rain. I mean, that would just be an unbelievable top shot. Yeah. I was thinking anything with Desi with the pouring rain or like the little like tinfoil thing that they wrap around right at the end of the race, something like that would be a, would be winner. Although if they did a top shot, they probably just do her having like a glass of whiskey and it'd be like a paid sponsorship. (laughs) Um, All right. So probably my favorite 
one that I have is I don't remember the year. It was the Olympics and uh, Derek Redman in the, the 400 meters, the classic clip of him pulling his hamstring and kind of collapses for a second. And then he's hobbling. You know, he's still got like 250 meters to go. So he's trying to like hobble his way there. His father runs out onto the track, which is a wild move when you think about it. Yeah, how didn't that guy get shot? Well, yeah, so you see like a security <laughs> guard go after him and he kind of like says something to him and just kind of blows by him. The the moment I want for my top shot though, right, is they finally get to the home stretch. And clearly we all see what's happening here, right? This is his father who's trying to escort him to the finish line. It's an emotional moment. And somehow after like letting them do this for like two minutes, a security guard comes over to them and tries to like get them to stop, which is a wild move. They've already like, it's the most emotional moment in like track history. And Redmond's father just gives the security guard the absolute business. And that's what I want. My t- I want the stiff arm. Oh, I love it. I love it. I didn't know like, you're going with this. Get I love that. Get out of here. We're finishing this race. That is the moment I want. I mean, that is, that might be the best track. I love that. I was like, oh, here, Mike's kind of pandering with this one. But, okay, I love it. I love it. That's great. That's great. Mr. Redman just giving him the damn business. $34,000. Yeah. Uh, $50,000. All right. All right. I'll buy. (laughs) He sold sold me. He convinced me. I mean, we got, 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 you you know, Desi, you know, with their comeback win, kind of the most emotional moment in the history of the sport. And then... Uh, Trent's talking about undercarriage shots. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we got a quite a quite a. Uh, let's throw in, you know, uh, the, um, you know, John Carlos and Tommy Smith. Yeah, of power. course, of course. Yeah, throw yes. that in there just so we can have the ultimate range of that all the way to uh, <laughs> Noah Drotty puking and yep. Dendy's undercarriage. <laughs> that's that's some that's some peak too early range right there. We also have to have like a. An Inga Britson or a Coco. We need to appeal to the European crowd. There's a lot of money out in Europe, too, that can get into the, the, the top shots. So we got too much Americans. Let's pick one of those guys. Uh, we'll do that when kid. they we'll do that when they do international basketball top shot. For now, okay. let's just let's okay. just keep it within the Okay. Within should the... we start track top shot and just we sell this? Like how much money idea. can we make off these? Do you, does anybody know how to do blockchain and uh, all that stuff? <laughs> well, if you do the math for how much these were all worth, it was worth millions. So we just got to pay someone to do it. I'm sure we can find somebody. I don't actually don't even think we need to set that up. I think we just need to. Oh, no. Is Mike frozen? Uh-oh. He looks can you frozen. hear me? Can you hear me? Can you hear me? Mike is so blown away by this proposal. Can you hear me? To sell can track. Me? I can still hear you guys. I'm probably still recording. Honestly, that's all that matters. Oh, no, I can't hear you guys. Yeah. Can you guys hear me? Oh, I can Barely. hear you. <coughs> can you hear me now? Yeah. yeah. You are. Lost you for I, a second. I could hear you guys the whole time, and I'm recording, so that's probably still on the podcast. We're not going to cut it. <coughs> but what I was saying was I don't even think we need – we just need to tell people that we know how to do, like, blockchain and all that and set up, like, an, a Google Excel sheet, and then once we get enough money, we'll just let it all go to shit and – you know scam people I think we just we just have an idea. excel sheet and like links to youtube videos and we yes. just say that this is track <laughs> so you guys own this now. you have one in a hundred of these all right boys let's kick off the bell app mike what do you got for people on the bell app steve gotta be honest i had a, had a bell up off the top of my head and 
I don't remember it. So here's what we're going to do. You know what? I'm just going to forego my bell lap. First time in peak too early history, I'm just going to pass on my bell lap. What do you think of that? How do you like them apples? I respect it. Trent, what do you got for people on the bell lap? I don't respect it at all. How many times <laughs> have I had to think of something on my ass here on the bell lap? Because I was unprepared. But uh, happy spring training, fellas. I, uh, it snuck up on me this year. I had my you know, CBS Sports app as my app of choice lately to look at sports scores and, and headlines. And I saw a couple uh, baseball scores. And I got excited. I feel like it snuck up on me even more this year with the whole pandemic. And last year, I was a little less into baseball because the Sox sucked. And it was a weird season. But it was nice to see. It was kind of the look outside the window today and the snow was melting, which I'm sad about winter leaving. But I do always appreciate that transition, you know, to baseball season. Um, if we got to lose the snow, I'll take some baseball. So happy spring training. I like it. I'm not sad about winter leaving. I love the beginning of winter. hate the end of it. So um, I'm just going to say uh, if – you know, I think we mentioned earlier, we might be putting together some little game or whatever for uh, cross-country national championships. If you're if you're interested in joining us, shoot me a DM. We'll kind of get a little bit of a list going. We'll get something going. It'll be fun. Other than that, the boys, I would have run faster, but I peaked too early. Mike, hit me with the Josie. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. Wanna say, you know, I like my girls a little bit older. I just wanna use your love tonight. I don't wanna lose your love tonight. Ain't got many friends left to talk to, no one's around. Anything for you Stay the night, we'll keep it on